Welcome to Heavily Pixelated. Video games are fun, but they're more than fun. They do more for us than we give them credit for. Heavily Pixelated is a show that attempts to describe all the positive things that games do for us. One of the challenges people have throughout their entire lives is making friends. I went through this recently, back in 2016. I moved from Vancouver to Toronto and I had to start all over again. I had to make new friends. I had to go out, which I hate. I had to introduce myself to to strangers, which I hate. And I had to stand there while people decided, you know, if, if they liked me. And I had to decide if I liked them. On today's show, this is the story of my first new friend in Toronto. I'm Scott C. Jones, and this is Heavily Pixelated. I met a guy named James. James is a Torontonian now, but he's originally from Hamilton, Ontario. He's a filmmaker and a writer. One of our early conversations was, of course, about film. James told me how he had thoroughly enjoyed the movie Arrival, but that he'd hated, absolutely hated, the movie Interstellar. Hated it. It's <laughs> the correct answer, my friend. Hated it. Hated it so much. I was so checked out of that movie that by the time the big emotional climax happened, where he was in like the magic library or whatever yeah, the fuck at the end, I was laughing. Like while like tears were coming down his eyes while we were rewatching the all the events of the movie and finding out he was the ghost the whole time. Right, right. I I was chuckling in my chair like the people next to me like were giving me like serious eyeballs. I was like, I'm sorry. When you're a kid, you bond over things like uh, you know your love of cheese. Do you like cheese? Oh man, that's so weird because I like cheese too. But when you get to be in your forties or you know. James is still in his 30s, but when you become a little more mature, you bond over things like your shared disdain for Chris Nolan movies. And that's what brought James and I together. James hated Interstellar, and so did I. James, when I met him, was going through a tough time. He had lost his grandmother or his Oma, as he called her. And he did something which, if you're not a gamer, will sound completely strange. He mourned her. He mourned her death by playing a video game. Usually when I, you know, when I'm having a shitty time and stuff, like, I just try and envelope myself in distractions, like stuff that can preoccupy my mind. And mostly, like, just staying at home and sitting around by myself playing video games. Games often help people through difficult times in their lives. And through this particular difficult time, that game, for James, was Mass Effect. Mass Effect tells the story of Commander Shepard. Now, uh, Commander Shepard, you can play either as a man or as a woman. Over the course of the three games, you are literally trying to save the universe. It, it feels a little silly to reduce it to you know, such a cliche, but that's, that's what you're trying to do. Well, what about Shepard? She's a spacer, lived aboard starships most of her life. Military service runs in the family. Both her parents were in the Navy. The way that uh, the story is told, the way that information is, is meted out, is very credible and very satisfying. 
I think there's something really satisfying about having some control over the way things go when you're dealing with something that you could never have done anything about. I really get into the role-playing aspect of it. It's not just what would be fun in the moment. It's like almost like creating a narrative for her. I played a very altruistic shepherd. She always tried to help people, always tried to do what was the perception of the right thing or the smart thing at the time. She proved herself during the Blitz, held off enemy forces on the ground until reinforcements arrived. The second one isn't as morally black and white as the first one is, which is great because it keeps you in the moment a little more and keeps you thinking about the character and works that distraction muscle really strongly and helps immerse you in, into the moment. And you have to be paying attention to what everybody's saying. You have to be, you know, you have to be thinking about the consequences of your actions, you know, hours later, you know, what the, the domino effect could be. She's the only reason Elysium is still standing. We can't question her courage. Humanity needs a hero, and Shepard's the best we've got. I always tried to be, you know, as much as possible like the hero, you know, even if there was, you know, just a stupid side quest of like some guy, you know, who doesn't even have a name just off to the side in like one of the hub worlds who needed a favor that, you know, required me to go to some distant planet and find like one item and bring it back to him. I was like, I'll be right back, but... <laughs> James and I did all the things that new friends would do. We saw a Star Wars movie together. We went for coffee together. Full disclosure, I'm the only one who drank coffee. James reliably ordered cans of Coke and not Diet Coke, straight up old-fashioned Coke. Can remember the last time I'd seen anyone openly drinking a Coke. Seemed exotic somehow. We had long conversations about books, movies, video games, TV shows. He'd even made a movie called Interview with a Time Traveler. We followed each other on social media, which is where I learned that James was coming out. James was coming out as transgender. James, the James that I knew, was no longer here. His true identity was finally here. This new identity was a female identity. But James was here, and James was real, but James was also kind of a, a facade or a, or a phantom. James now is in the past. James is behind us. And what I have now is Ashley. Ashley is, I, I don't know, I, maybe my friend. I mean, I, I guess I have to find out. When I was a kid, I remember seeing a prominent male comedian on television who was, for some bizarre reason, you know, to, to participate in a sketch, dressed up as a woman. Um, maybe it was somebody like Bob Hope or, or Milton Berle. I think maybe it was Milton Berle. He was still Milton Berle, but he had a dress on, he had a wig on, he had makeup on. And to somehow make matters worse, he was smoking a cigar at the same time that he was dressed up as a woman. And I remember this image just, just terrifying me or confusing my six-year-old brain. I didn't know who he was anymore. Uh, I didn't understand. And I think that fear and that confusion and the, the perplexed feelings I had have carried over into my feelings about transgender people. Did I dress up as a woman when I was a kid? Of course I did. I just remember putting on a dress for Halloween carrying a purse and, and putting makeup on, just getting a, a weird jolt of electricity. I'm not saying that makes me understand transgender people any better, but that's really the only clue I have. 
the gaming community is a very open, very evolved community. Every game developers conference I attend, everyone knows where the gender neutral bathrooms are. I see men who used to be women, and I see women who used to be men. It's kind of normal at this point. I'd seen them around, but I, I just kind of always turned a, a blind eye towards them. I didn't really understand them. I didn't know why they had made the choices they had made. And so it was just kind of easier for me not to look at them at all. But now I had a, a, a friend right in front of me, uh, someone who I've become fond of, someone who I felt protective of. The first time I saw her, she was taller somehow. She had long red hair at the time, a wig, obviously, and uh, she seemed more intimidating. Here's Ashley. I was, you know, I was a couple weeks into all of this that we were, that we were talking last time, and it was all that I was thinking about. Because I was going through all of that stuff with my Oma, but I was also dealing with all of this stuff at the same time. Like, sitting there across from you while you're, like, poking and prodding, and I was like, I was like, this could be a very different conversation, but I'm just too chicken shit to say anything. <laughs> you were definitely getting a censored version because like when we sat down the last time and you were like, oh, like, tell me about the stuff that you're working through while you were playing the game and stuff like that. And I was like, fuck, man, if you only knew, like, you know what I mean? Like, I so badly just wanted to be like, I'm a girl, like, but like, <laughs> I think probably the most affecting thing that I've played is the Mass Effect trilogy, like in like recent memory. Like I played the first one like a year ago, but I was mere hours into number two when this all kind of came crashing down. I kind of spent the whole time with Shepard as my surrogate, basically going out into the world and kind of being the woman I wanted to be, like flying around in a fucking spaceship, saving the day and making out with sexy blue aliens and stuff. <laughs> And being this like badass super bitch and not, you know, and coincidentally, like she's a redhead, you know, like my, my shepherd was a redhead and a, and a badass. Didn't think of anything of it at the time, you know, like everything else in my life. As I mentioned earlier, you can play Mass Effect either as a man or as a woman. And Ashley, of course, played as a woman. I try, you know, I tried to make her the best version of me as empathetic as possible. But don't you dare fuck with my friends or, you know, or bring the rain. Doing my best to, like, make sure that my whole team, you know, made it out of the suicide mission at the finale of two. Forming very strong bonds with all of these characters who were, like, in, like, my headcanon were, like, the only people that knew what was going on with me at the time. Because I was too afraid to fucking tell anybody else, <laughs> you know. kind of funny because I used to joke before that when I would describe what I looked like to people, I would tell them that I looked like the default settings on an RPG creative character because I'm just like a, like a very generic looking white guy with short brown hair and scruff. That tends to be like the box art of every PlayStation 4 and Xbox game at EV. The idea now that I actually get to customize who I am is kind of funny. RPG is an acronym for role-playing game. And in those games, you get to create your own character, dress him or her however you like, give her attributes like intelligence and strength. But at the very start of the character creation process, the character, the virtual character, stands there naked, like an adult baby, waiting for you to dress her. And the game won't start until you dress her.
when I have a beard, there's a red tinge to my beard. And I was always kind of like upset that it didn't migrate north, you know, because I always just thought brown hair, it was so like, bleh. There wasn't a lot going on with it. And I was always afraid to dye it because that meant I cared what I looked like. And there, that became a slippery slope for me. It was like, oh, like I can have red hair. I can have all of these different wardrobe options. I already have a wider variety of clothing options since December than I ever did. It's really freeing to kind of get to reinvent yourself and to just start from scratch and get to decide who you are, you know, anew, which is not an opportunity I think a lot of people get or take. I didn't have a taste in fashion before because I didn't like men's fashion. I owned like one suit that I wore to anything that was remotely fancy, weddings, funerals, didn't matter, graduations, whatever. I would just constantly outgrow that or it would become ill-fitting because I would lose weight and then I'd replace it. And I had one pair of boots, one pair of running shoes, one pair of like walking around shoes. Like everything was as uh, economic and bare bones as it could be because again, like I just didn't care. I probably spent more time dressing RPG characters than I ever did myself. <laughs> it's amazing how like coming to terms with all of this kind of puts a lot of your prior life into perspective. I told Ashley that I was still struggling with this a little bit, that I was still trying to figure all of this out. Part of everybody's reaction is, I know that you're still you, but it's like a different version of you. It's like you, you know, New Game Plus. I asked Ashley if she was enjoying shopping a little more now. Uh, I own five dresses already. Really? And I can't wear any of them because it's fucking three degrees outside. But I am super stoked for nice weather to turn around. <laughs> for the first time ever, I can walk past like uh, a clothing store and be like, hey, I like that. And it's funny, like I always used to be jealous of women because they had all the better clothing options. There are so many different clothing options for women. I used to be so jealous about it. It never occurred to me. It was like, because I want to wear it. Like, <laughs> We went back to the beginning to talk about the moment when Ashley knew that this was a real thing. She'd gone home to be with her family after her grandmother had died. And I'll let her tell the story from here. Because she didn't leave a will. She was basically just like... I'm gone, I don't give a fuck. <laughs> like, y'all can figure it out for yourselves. Yeah. And so she was just basically like, if you guys want something, it's yours, don't fight over it, don't be assholes. And so we all kind of like went down to the house and like basically like chose a memento that we would like to take home with us. It was the most pedestrian, normal day. I still, to this day, I'm trying to reconcile how this all kind of happened when it did. It was all just normal family conversations, had dinner, piled myself into the car and started driving. Just outside of the Hamilton limits, there's a bridge that connects Hamilton and Burlington, the Skyway Bridge. And by the time I was on that bridge, my brain just like clicked. This is a thing you have to deal with now. Establishing secure connection. Secure connection confirmed. I've been dealing with identity issues since I was like eight. And, but it's always taken some formless, nebulous shape. It was never concrete. It was never in terms of statements. It was always just kind of vague feelings or questions and but like this was the first time it ever was just like this is a thing deal with it and i basically spent the entire drive home about an hour and 15 minutes on the verge of a panic attack because i didn't know what the fuck to do warning data corruption detected there's just like such a domino effect of repercussions 
of having to, to come to terms with that that like I was not qualified in that particular moment to deal with. Please reconstruct profile. All of these vague feelings I'd had prior, because they'd never been anything concrete, they'd been real easy to just kind of like cram down again and put off. This time it was concrete, like a mission statement in my brain. It was like, boom, this is you now. When it's formless, you can kind of just like ignore it and pretend that it's not there. Confirm psychological profile. But you can't put the toothpaste back in the tube. That's your new reality. And now you just have to figure out what kind of is next. I asked Ashley if it would be accurate for me to say that she got into the car as James, but got out of the car as Ashley. Definitely. I was definitely not the same James that went into the car, that's for damn sure. It was definitely the small first step to whatever was coming next, because at the time I didn't really know. Mainstream attention to trans people is, tends to be to like a certain type of trans person. How many trans prostitutes are there on television or in movies, right? Anytime there seems to be a trans character of significance, they're either uh, suicidal or they're a prostitute or both. There's not a wide range. It's getting better, but like there's not a super wide range of trans people in kind of mainstream media. It makes it easy to kind of look out at the world at what's there and say, oh, well, that's not me, so maybe that's not me at all. It's kind of like any other kind of representation. It's like until you see someone like you doing it, there's kind of a gap between you and knowing that it, you're capable of it. And so I'd never looked out into the world and saw anybody that represented me in a way that I understood. And there's all these kind of myths about, you know, coming to terms with your identity is that beforehand you're like really depressed or you're on the verge of, you know, suicidal tendencies. And I was never that. I always thought of myself as relatively happy in the dark of night when I would have like really vulnerable moments and I'd be like, hey Google, am I trans? You know, Google would be like, here's some articles you can read and I'd read them and I'd be like, oh, well, I've never been depressed before, so I guess that's not me. The other nine things in the list of 10 are, but that one's not, so I'm safe. All of this is kind of like running through my head the whole drive home by myself. My girlfriend is not home all weekend. She's off at work. I'm just in the house, me and my three cats, and I basically just got home, sat down, and played video games all weekend and tried to relax, basically, like, tried to calm myself. It didn't work very well. I didn't get a lot of sleep that weekend. I was hoping and praying with every fiber of my being that it would go away again. I read an article by a trans author named Mia Violet, and the title of the article was, Yes, You Are Trans Enough. And it was basically an article debunking the myth of the tragic trans person, which I was referring to earlier as kind of like the cornerstone mainstream trans character. And it was like, no, you don't have to have been depressed for your dysphoria to be legitimate. And no, you don't have to be this person for you. And basically just broke down all of these myths of like, there's no one right way to be a trans person, just like there's no one right way to be any kind of person. If these are feelings you are having, they're legitimate, and nobody gets to take that away from you or say otherwise. I always, I always had this kind of uncomfortability with whoever was on the other side of the mirror, but it was never in like a, oh man, I could really afford to lose 10 pounds kind of way, like it is with most people where they're like, I see me, but I want to see a better version of me. It was like, I don't know you very well you know I know that this is I'm getting you know what's looking back at me but 
there's just something wrong over here. I never was able to put form to it until now. And now it's like, yeah, of course I didn't, you know, put a lot of effort in and didn't care what I looked like because it was all upside down. When I finally grew up and kind of like had my own place, when these things would come up, I was always too chicken to bring anything into the house that I could later be caught with. Because prior to coming to terms and accepting this stuff, it always came packaged with a huge ball of shame. Any thoughts or feelings I would have related to this or any actions I would take, you know, small as they may be related to this, was always met with great shame afterwards. You know, almost like, you know, an addict who slips up, you know, on the road to recovery. It's like they do it in the moment. They have no thoughts of consequences, but it's immediately afterwards. It's just shame and regret and fuck, like, what have I done? As James, I was very emotionally kind of distant. I wouldn't talk about my feelings a lot. I wouldn't talk about personal stuff very much because I knew there were things that I couldn't tell people because if people knew that about me, they wouldn't like me anymore. Now that I'm just kind of like the purest version of me, I'm trying to get better at like being outwardly emotional and telling people how I feel about stuff, being emotional towards my friends, my best friends in the world. I don't know if I've ever told them I love them. Maybe that's toxic masculinity. Guys aren't supposed to have those emotions and like be really emotive and vocal about that stuff. I've always been kind of closed off because to be completely in tune with my emotions would have led me here, you know, which was a scary thought 15 years ago. Ashley looks remarkably healthier and happier. And of course, she's going to be happier. She's finally who she was always supposed to be. I finally feel good. And I'm like, this is what everybody else gets. Shit. Like, <laughs> People develop intimate relationships with video game characters, and they've been doing it for decades. Sometimes these relationships are colorful and banal, like with Mario, and sometimes the relationships are with characters that are badass super bitches. Watch Dogs 2 has a prominent trans character, which is pretty badass. She's like the mayor of the city. I thought that was really cool, because they, especially because they don't make a big deal out of it. She's just one of the characters in the story. I thought it was really cool that they included a trans character in Dragon Age Inquisition. He's not a playable character and you can't add him to your party or anything like that, but I would go back to like my keep and hang out with him and see what he was up to all the time. We're definitely moving in the right direction, I think, in terms of like the way trans people are represented. It's just like, just a little faster, guys. Like, <laughs> I wanted to surprise Ashley. I wanted to give her a chance to, to say thank you to BioWare. So I looked at my Rolodex and I dug out Mac Walters' phone number. Mac Walters was the lead writer on the original Mass Effect. He was a senior writer on Mass Effect 2 and 3, and he was the director of Mass Effect Andromeda. I appreciate you taking the time to talk. That was really cool of you. Oh, yeah. I, I love you. I know that we hear, you know, from the fans, the good and the bad, but, um, you know, we're here talking about a bit more of the good today. And I think, you know, it is always inspiring, not just for me, but for the team to know that fans have connected with what we've created in a way that is meaningful just beyond playing a video game. And when I go to con, I think that's one of the things I enjoy most is because you get to connect with the fans and they, they'll tell you a story about what it meant to them. Remember that it isn't just a game, and uh, at least not to everyone, and I think it can be more.
After the call, we gathered up our stuff and said goodbye. And as I watched her walk away, I realized that this interstellar-hating, Mass Effect-loving, coke-drinking weirdo... She was my first new friend in Toronto. Look out, world. Here comes a badass super bitch. Ashley Cooper is a screenwriter and film director. You can watch her short film, Interview with a Time Traveler, on Vimeo.com, V-I-M-E-O. And you can read her blog on Medium under Ashley J. Cooper. Special thanks to Mac Walters from BioWare, Gino Talens and Brad Hildebrand from Electronic Arts, to filmmaker and writer Sarah Deakins for her editing help, to Stephen Nikolic for his ongoing technical support, Thanks to J.P. Davidson and Chris Diamond for their notes on earlier versions of this episode. Mass Effect Andromeda is in stores now. It's available for the Xbox One, the PlayStation 4, and the PC. Reviews for the game were, were pretty mediocre, but Ashley, who obviously knows what she's talking about, liked it quite a bit. The most recent development is that Ashley Cooper has taken to the stage and started doing stand-up comedy, and uh, she's really good. I mentioned estrogen reduces muscle mass, uh, which is essentially my doctor's overpriced education way of telling me that I'm slowly getting weaker. <laughs> and I'm learning this in exciting new ways every day. Like, I recently lost the title of house jar opener. <laughs> which is not something I thought I would miss, but I thought to write it into this set, so I think me and my therapist have some things to talk about tomorrow. <laughs> Ashley is mostly performing only in the Toronto area right now. So the best you can do is subscribe to her YouTube channel, Ashley Cooper Comedy. Music for the episode was provided by Chris Tofsky, Lee Rosevere, Chris Velasco and Sasha Dekissian, and finally, the great Jack Wall and Sam Hullock. Thanks to all of you. Special thanks to the freemusicarchive.org. Heavily Pixelated is the name of the show. Tell your friends about it. I need more listeners. And until next time, I'm Scott C. Jones. I'll see you then. Getting you.